of you who don't know, one of the pastors here of H2O. And to get things started this morning, I just want to start with a question for you. What is your happy place? Yeah, some giggles right away. That's good. Do you have a happy place? You know what I mean by happy place, right? Yeah, I have a happy place right now. If you could see me in my happy place, you would see me bundled up in a warm blanket with my slippers on, don't laugh, nestled into a lazy boy with a good book in my hands, and close by, you'd see a scented candle burning, and in the flickering light of the candle, you would see a large Tim Hortons coffee with two creams. It's a beautiful picture. And you know, that classic new book smell would blend together with the coffee and the candle to create the perfect happy place scent. You know what I'm talking about. I'd be savoring small sweet sips of that not too hot but not too cold Canadian gold. (laughs) And of course, you would actually hear the sound of peace. Quiet. That's awesome, isn't it? Okay, I know I lost some of you because that's not your happy place. That's my happy place. That sounds amazing to me. What's your happy place? You picture it? I was thinking about this um, this last week, and so I just Googled happy place to see what Google could teach me, and it turns out that the happy place is a real place. Did you guys know that? Yeah, it started in LA and now it's so popular it's traveling throughout the country. But I actually brought a video to introduce you to the happy place. Check it out. I don't know what you think of that happy place. Um, Looks kind of (laughs) crazy. On their website, it says, happy place was created because we believe that our world today can use a lot more happiness. The happy place is an immersive pop-up exhibit with larger-than-life installations and multi-sensory-themed rooms curated to capture your happy. Some of you would love that happy place, I'm sure. Some of you would not, and the 30 to $35 an hour price tag might keep you out. But either way, I actually think they've stumbled onto something. We're all trying to capture happy, 
right? Last week, we kicked off a new sermon series called Still Life, and we saw that God's designed us for rest. He rested after he created the world, and he created us with an inherent need to rest. And rest is about way more than what we're doing or what we're not doing. It's really much more internal. It's about living at peace with God and with ourselves and with the people around us. That kind of rest can be a struggle though, right? Living at peace. I mean, we, we may know rest is good for us. God designed us for rest. He invites us to rest. But even still, it's hard. I struggle to rest. I find myself busy and hurrying almost all the time. You have probably heard me mention that before. Last week, Vivek mentioned a, a coworker who shared that he sometimes felt too busy to stop whatever he was doing and go to the bathroom. That's pretty bad. That's me. <laughs> that was me. I found rest to be a tricky business in this season of life. So heading into this new year, I did two things. The first thing I did is I said, you know, I want to be unhurried in my heart. So I started praying every day that God would help me be unhurried in my life as I go throughout all the things that I have to do. The second thing I did this year is I added grad school to my to-do list. <laughs> I have no idea if that was a good idea or a bad idea, but there's a tension there, right? Obviously. And I'm not the only one who struggles. I don't have a a corner on the market when it comes to feeling busy and hurried. You heard the stats that Vivek shared last week. We all struggle to really rest, to really live at peace with God and with ourselves and with the people around us. And the question I want us to dig into today is why? Why is that so hard? I'm sure there's a lot of reasons for that, but today we're going to focus in on a reason I think might be the number one reason we struggle to rest. We have an enemy who is obsessed Stealing our peace. So this morning we're going to dig into Matthew 4 and Jesus' time of temptation in the wilderness. And this passage isn't about rest. It's about temptation to sin, but I think it actually gets at the heart of why it's so difficult for us to rest. This morning before we jump in, I just want to pray, ask God to help us as we listen to what he wants to say to us and apply it to our lives. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thanks for the chance to come together and turn our attention to you and our our ears to you and our hearts towards you. And we want to invite you to speak. We want to invite you to help us see what is going on in our lives that's keeping us from resting in you. We pray we would listen with a ready heart to respond to what you show us as well. pray this in your name. Amen. All right, let's jump right in. This is Matthew 4, verse 1. It says this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. It's the setup for the rest of what we're going to read today. And first, the first thing we have to see is that God wanted Jesus in the wilderness. He was led there by the Holy Spirit. The second thing we need to recognize is that This is a really hard place for Jesus. It's a really hard place. He's alone. He's waiting for so many things we're going to see in just a minute, and he's under attack. 
It's a hard place. He was alone, no, no friends, no family there to help him or support him or to lean on. Just him, the devil, God the Father. He's waiting, right? He's waiting to eat for one, 40 days. That's a long time, really long time. And at this point in his life, this is before he has begun his public ministry. He's 30 years old, and he's waiting to show the world who he really is. Nobody knows he's God in the flesh, or maybe just a few people know. And he's also waiting to receive a kingdom. We just finished the series on kings, and we saw that God had promised a king would come. He would receive a kingdom. It'd be Jesus, we, we know. He's going to receive a kingdom. And so he's waiting. If you're counting along, he's waiting on top of waiting on top of waiting. It was a hard place. And he was also under attack. I don't know what you know about the devil, but he's a real being, a fallen angel, our enemy and accuser. He's called the father of lies, a thief, a tempter. At this point in history, God's allowed him to have some real power. He's described as the God of this age or the prince of this world. So there Jesus is alone, waiting, under attack in the wilderness. And what we're going to see and look at this morning is how the devil attacks Jesus. And when he attacks, it's not random. He hits Jesus with three strategic types of temptations. And what I want us to see is, yes, these are temptations to sin, but listen, if rest is really living at peace with God and finding peace in God, then these temptations, they're also attempts to steal our rest and steal our peace with God, to keep us from finding peace in Jesus. So let's check them out. Verse 3 says, And the tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So this is the first type of temptation, the temptation to feed our flesh, to, to feed our natural physical desires in a way that is outside of God's will for us, outside of his plan for our lives. It's the temptation to, to yearn for or to overindulge in whatever feels good. I'm sure we've felt that before in a lot of ways. Some of you guys are doers. You like to go out and get after it. Eat, drink, party, be merry. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. The lie you're tempted to believe is you can find lasting happiness by going out and living it up. That's where it is. It's out there to go experience. Some of us are not doers. You heard my happy place. We like to stay in with our cozy blankets and slippers and veg. Binge on DoorDash, Netflix, sour gummies. Sounds awesome. The lie we're tempted to believe is we can find happiness by staying in and taking it easy. That's where it is. And in the end, it's really the same either way. It's feeding our flesh, going after what feels good. So after Jesus had fasted 40 days, he was hungry, and the devil comes to him and says, eat, feed your flesh. And there's nothing wrong with eating. If we don't eat, we die. 
But right then, God wanted Jesus to fast. True lasting happiness, right, would not be found in eating. It'd feel good for a minute. But peace with God would be gone. Jesus knew that. He wasn't fooled. He resisted the devil, and he submitted to what God's plan was for him. And so the devil moved on. Verse 5 says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it's written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It's the second type of temptation. It's the temptation to feed our pride, to yearn for or go after power or greatness or prove ourselves outside of God and apart from him. Most of us are smart, successful people. A lot of us are students or grads of the Ohio State University. Not me. We're professionals We're building careers, we're gaining power and influence, we're changing the world. And we need to be really careful because it would be so easy for us to believe the lie that we can find lasting happiness within ourselves. We can make it happen through our own power, our influence, our title, our achievements, the respect that we earn. In fact, we're not going to find happiness, we're going to make it, right? Because we can. Doesn't really matter what we latch onto in that process, right? Being smart or being kind or powerful or funny or whatever. In the end, it's all the same feeding our pride, looking to ourselves, throwing himself down and having angels come to his rescue. It would have been a big, public, visible way for Jesus to scream, Hey, everybody, look at me! God in the flesh. It would have been a quick, easy way for Jesus to prove himself, to prove that he was God. But Jesus knew that proving himself like that wasn't God's way for the world to find out who he was. So he resisted the devil. He submitted to God's plan for his life. He waited for God to prove who he was. Then one more time, the devil comes to Jesus with an offer. Verse 8 says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. It's the final type of temptation, the temptation to feed our eyes. What does it mean to feed your eyes? To look on to yearn for anything that looks good that doesn't belong to us and is outside God's will for us, at least at the moment. I want you to think about your life for a second. When was the last time you saw something that looked really good and you wanted it? How far back do you have to look? It's not very far for me. Okay, I'm sure it was this morning. We're bombarded with images and messages all the time, aren't we? Making things look appealing to us. Advertising, marketing, branding, social media, the news, it's all about making stuff look 
appealing. Making us feel like we can't live without X. We can't be happy unless we have that thing, whatever it is. The goals get us interested, to get us hooked, to keep us coming back for more. And our culture is really catching up with what the devil's known for a long time. How many of you have played the game Candyland? Yeah, a few? Okay. If you haven't, don't waste your time. <laughs> You're not missing out. It's a really dumb game. Sorry if you like it. <laughs> there is literally zero strategy in the game of Candyland. The winner is predetermined by how you shuffle the deck and set it up. Okay, it's, there's nothing you can do to win or lose. It's determined before you start. But the game's designed for little kids to play, so we've been trying to play Candyland. I've been trying to play with the boys. And, you know, somebody knew exactly what they were doing when they designed Candyland to appeal to kids, right? Candyland, an imaginary world made of candy, mountains of gumdrops. Sounds good. I don't know what it is about candy and kids. They just go bonkers. Like, we can't have candy in our house because they cannot move on with life knowing there's candy there <laughs> that they could have. It's no more. It's so hard to handle. I want to show you how the game has changed over time. Here's the artwork from the original version of the game. See that? That's cute. You know, some exaggerated things about candy. Look at what it looks like today. This is just the cover of the box. It's been changed a little, right? There's like 250% more candy, and there is a lot more appeal, right? Look at that stuff. It's amazing. There's one place there's a character holding an ice cream cone. It's two times the size of his head. It, it, it looks awesome. It's ridiculous, though. But the kids are digging it. They love it. Last time we played, kids actually quit halfway through to demand that we go get ice cream. <laughs> it didn't work. It didn't work, and they were not happy. And you know what? As a parent of little kids, there's one thing I learned, because I've given in to that before, right? You think you're going to be happy, but you aren't. that's going to be gone before we leave the ice cream shop. Before we get in our van to go home, I'm going to be like, why did we do this? You're all angry and fighting. That happiness is fleeting. That's what the temptation to feed our eyes does. It makes us unsatisfied with what we have and unsatisfied with where we're at in life. And it feeds the lie that there is no way we can be happy here where God has me with what God has already given to me. There's no way we can find it here. We gotta go find it somewhere else. We have to run after whatever it is that looks good, hoping that that's where it's at. I know it's just a kid's game, but we, we're living in Candyland. It's everywhere. And that's exactly what's happening when the devil comes to Jesus and offers him all, all the kingdoms and all the glory in the world. Jesus knew he had a kingdom coming to him, but the path to that kingdom was going to be slow and painful. Not a quick, easy transaction. But listen, Jesus wasn't looking for a kingdom to bring him contentment. 
He wanted to do God's will. And so he waits on God. At the very end, it says, the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Sort of the end of his hard place, right? He moves on, and only, only to come back to other hard places throughout his life, I'm sure. So what exactly does all this have to do with rest? Did you notice at the the heart of those temptations, if we give in, we are no longer trusting God for our happiness, right? We are taking matters into our own hands. We are grasping for happiness. We're going after it on our own. And either we're doing what feels good or what looks good or we're looking to ourselves to make it happen from within ourselves. And the problem is that real lasting happiness isn't found in any of those things. It's only found in God alone. And you know what? We will dry up, burn out, run ourselves into the ground trying to make ourselves happy. It's exhausting. Trying to fill God's shoes. We can't do it. We never could do it. Try as hard as we like. It will never be enough. So that means for us, instead of escaping the hard places, rest is going to be tied to embracing the life God has called us to even in the midst of hard places. So how do we do that? Next week, we're going to talk a lot more about that, but I just want to give you three things this morning. The first one is this. We have to realize we're under attack We have to realize we are living in a spiritual battle. We have an enemy. These three temptations, they're nothing new. Actually, it's it's pretty simple, and it's from the beginning of time, the first human sin in the Garden of Eden. Remember why Eve gave in. It says in Genesis 3, 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. That's all three. In 1 John 2, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see what's going on here with these temptations? Every one of them is an offer to escape the hard place. One free ticket out of the hard place. It's hard to turn down. We have an enemy who is hell-bent on convincing us that we need to escape the life God has called us to because it has hard places. So there he is at every turn, offering easy alternatives, right? Pain, tears, years of waiting? Nah, you can have it free, easy, and right now. Feed. I want you to think about your life. How are you being tempted to escape the hard places God's called you to? You see what's going on there? Maybe rest is not found in escaping the hard places, but in staying right there and depending on Jesus.
That leads us to the second thing. We've, we've got to resist the urge to escape. Sometimes it's God's will for us to be right there, smack dab in the middle of a hard place. We may not know why. We might not know what God's doing in us or around us at the time. We may never know. But that is the trick with rest. This is it. We will not find peace with God or ourselves or others while we're running away from the hard places that God wants us to be in. God has us in, that he's called us to. Rest is not circumstantial. It's not dependent on our surroundings. It's not found by escaping the hard places. It's found by turning to God and trusting him and depending on him, even in the midst of them. It's actually kind of shocking when you see it for what it really is, right? Some of us, we actually define rest as escaping the hard places, no wonder it's so fine, it's so hard for us to find peace and rest. Instead of escaping the hard places, we need to resist the devil's schemes in the midst of them. Ephesians 6 talks about this. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Did you hear those words in there? Be strong, put on armor, take your stand, struggle, stand your ground. They're all active words of resistance. You probably don't think of those words when you think of rest. But we've got to embrace those words if we're going to find rest in God. So what about you? How are you resisting in your life? How are you resisting the devil's schemes? You know, unlike Jesus in the wilderness, we haven't been called by God to be alone in this battle, right? We don't have to resist the devil's schemes on our own. So who can you ask for help? Who can help you resist? What a gift that is to have other people help us. But ultimately, this, this, all of this leads us to this point that we have to rely on Jesus. He is our help. Hebrews 2.18 says that because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He can help us. Hebrews 4.15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I love that passage. It reminds me that Jesus gets it. He was there. He was tempted in every way we're tempted and he suffered under that temptation, but he did not sin and he did not escape. He stayed in every hard place God planned for him. And if the wilderness 
temptation was a hard place for Jesus, you got to know the Garden of Gethsemane was a hard place for Jesus, where his soul was crushed with grief to the point of death, where he asked his three best friends in the whole world to stay with him and pray with him, and they couldn't stay awake, where he prayed, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. He stayed in every hard place the Father had for him. And you know what? It's only because he stayed. It's only because he went to the cross, because he died in our place for our sins, because he rose from the dead, that we can have true and lasting peace. He didn't escape. So what do we do? We draw near to Jesus. We remember he was there. We go to him. Because he gets it, and he's there to help. I want you to think back to the happy place you pictured earlier. I don't know what it was, but I bet it was quick, easy, free, fun. You were the center of that little universe, probably. Those aren't bad things. I'm sure there are times that God's plan is for us to enjoy those sort of things. And maybe we'll be refreshed in them. But there's also times when it looks slow and hard and costly and painful. And if God has us in a hard place, rest will not be found in escaping it. But in staying, submitting, depending, even in the midst of that hard place. Because rest is living at peace with God wherever he leads. It's finding our rest in him wherever he leads us. I'm not sure if you caught it. I was right at the end of that video clip. There's a woman getting her picture taken, and she said, I look really happy. That's what the world has to offer. That's what the devil has to offer us. A cheap imitation of the real thing. That's what the happy place was totally designed for, to make it look like you're happy. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. My prayer is that we would be a church that finds real and lasting peace in Jesus, even in the midst of the hard places. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this time to turn our attention to you. I pray that you would help us see what is going on around us and in us. You'd help us see why it's so hard for us to rest in you. And I pray you'd help us to resist. Resist the devil's schemes. Resist the urge to escape. That we would submit to you and rest in you even in the midst of the hard places. We know that you are our help. And it's only in you that we can find rest for our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, well, today for the call segment of our service, we're going to have a time of confession. And confessions look differently for God's people throughout the years. It's often done privately, sometimes corporately. But it's definitely something in the Bible that we're called to do as people following Jesus. So we're going to 
have actually two pieces of confession this morning. First, we're going to have a corporate prayer, a time where we uh, read a prayer and pray it together, and then a time of silent prayer where individually we just talk with God wherever we're at. And I just want to encourage you to use both of those times to sincerely engage with and confess how we've run from rest in Jesus corporately, together, and then how individually in your own life you've escaped, you've fed your flesh, your pride, your eyes, look for rest in other places. All right? Join me as we pray. Most merciful God, we confess we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We've fed our flesh and our pride and our eyes, and we've turned to comfort instead of to Christ. We're truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.